Well, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tonight. Can we turn there? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think we may have uh, established a record already this week. Uh, it has only taken two services for the song guy to realize we only got time for one song if this guy's preaching. <laughs> and um, normally I, I at least get into Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday like, man, we got to cut this way down. And this guy figured that out. He's, he's a sharp, he's a sharp guy. And he got done got that figured out. We got to cut this way down. Um, and uh, so I appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, we'll stand here in just a moment um, as we read the scriptures. But let me, let me first thank you for being here. Uh, certainly those that are guests uh, tonight, we are thankful that you're here. And um, as always, uh, the members of, of Bible Baptist. And then second, I, I want to acknowledge up front tonight that I understand very, very well um, that this message may be difficult for some. I get that. I do. Uh, but I want you to know my heart tonight. Um, my heart is to help. Uh, my heart is, is not to uh, create more hurt. Um, but when you deal with this kind of subject, um, it, it, does, it does hit our emotions. And uh, so just, just know my heart in that. I've often said this about grief. From the outside looking in, it can't possibly be understood. And from the inside looking out, it can't possibly be explained. As one writer said, grief is a world of its own. It's a country, really, and I'm a new immigrant inside it. And like any other country, you have to learn the laws, the rules, the physics, and it's a learning curve. So there are good days and bad days. And oh, how true that is. Now, there are good days and certainly there are bad days. Now normally this is a two-part message. Um, but I figured most of you would uh, want to be out of here by 9 o'clock tonight. Can I get a witness right there? And uh, so I've cut it down to at least get you out by 8.30, okay? Some of you are like, is he serious? <laughs> no, I'm not serious. 8.15 maybe, not 8.30. <laughs> if you want to have access to uh, the material that I just will not be able to uh, cover tonight, um, I do have a, a little 77-page mini-book in the back there under the same title, How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over. And um, it contains a lot of the material that, that I'll not uh, cover tonight. And uh, those are just $5. And so if you'd like to uh, pick up a, a few of those to take with you, I'd be more than, than willing to uh, help you with that. Let me begin our time together tonight like this. There are three basic problems that are common to all of us. It doesn't make any difference who we are tonight. 
make any difference how, how long we've walked with the Lord or, or if we're even walking with the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter. We all have to deal with the same three problems, and they are sorrow, sickness, and suffering. And as long as we live in this fallen world, we're going to have to deal with all three of those. Sometimes we will deal with them indirectly as they come into the lives of people we know and love. And, and what I have found is the little book out in the foyer is a really good tool to help you minister to those kinds of people. And we all, we all know them, family and friends and neighbors and uh, just acquaintances and uh, strangers that we may meet randomly. And I don't know if this has ever been true for you, but it has certainly been true for me. As I have encountered folks like that through the years, I open my mouth and I say something and right as it's getting ready to roll off of my tongue, it's like, oh, Bill, what are you thinking? And it just, just gets out there. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we just don't know what to say. And as a preacher said, I'm just going to be honest. I'll just be real blunt with you tonight. Sometimes people just say dumb things. Yeah. Like, well, God needed another angel in his choir. Or God needed another flower in his garden. Okay, time out. God doesn't need anything. And he certainly didn't need them more than we needed them. And so there are just a lot of silly things that, that folks say. And, um, you know, they just ring so hollow to people who are suffering loss. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like, what do you even mean by that? And so it's, it's so much easier to maybe grab one of those books and say, listen, I don't know what you're going through. I've never experienced what you're experiencing we had a man in our church, him and his family, they, they've experienced that themselves. And they wrote this little book to, to help folks. And I just, I just want to give you this book. That is so much, that is so much better than trying to, to blow smoke at somebody and, and um, all of that. And so sometimes uh, we will uh, encounter those things indirectly. But then there may come a time when we must deal with them directly as they come into our lives. And such was the case with our family um, back on February the 6th of 2018. It was a Tuesday night. Um, it was about eh, probably 7.30 or so. I was sitting up in our, in our bed um, Katie was sitting out in the living room in the, the recliner, and I had my cell phone <coughs> beside me on the bed, and, and it rang, and I looked down, and it said, Sheena. Well, Sheena uh, is our daughter-in-law, and she, she never uh, calls me. She would always call Katie, and so my first thought was, well, TJ has left his, his phone in another deer stand somewhere, and he can't remember which one. And so he's using Sheena's phone. And so I answered the phone, and, 
and uh, picked it up, and, and uh, Sheena said, is Katie there? And I said, yes, she is. And she said, can you get her? I need to talk to you guys. And so I picked the phone up, went out in the living room, and I said, hey, it's Sheena. She needs to talk to us. Put it on hands-free. And she started crying. And the first words out of her mouth were, TJ is dead. There is nothing in the world that can prepare a parent for that news. TJ was our oldest son. Um, he was 35 years old. Uh, he was working on his pickup uh, in their driveway. He was the only one home. Uh, to this day, we're not exactly sure uh, what happened. But that night, uh, just some kind of freak accident, um, he went home to be with the Lord. He left behind his beautiful wife, Sheena, and those three uh, beautiful granddaughters, um, Cal, uh, Ellie, excuse me, Mallory Page, Callie, or, wow. If Katie were sitting here, she'd be giving me the evil eye right now. <laughs> Mallory Page, Ellie Grace, and Callie May. At the time of, of TJ's death, Mallory was seven. Uh, she just, a couple of weeks ago, um, had her 13th birthday, and uh, man, it was, a, it was a hard day because, and her daddy loved her and would have given anything in the world to have celebrated that day with her. She played volleyball that day, she cheered that day, and her daddy just would have been so incredibly proud of her. Ellie was three, and uh, Callie Mae was six months, almost seven. Not long after TJ's death, Katie and I began to pray that God would bring someone into Sheena's life that could, could take TJ's place in loving Sheena and raising those girls and loving those girls and, and leading their family spiritually. And it's an amazing story how God brought Derek and his son Boston uh, into their lives. Uh, Derek is not TJ. He'll never be TJ. We don't expect him to be TJ. But he is doing exactly what TJ was doing. He loves Sheena with all his heart. He loves those girls, and those girls love him. He's a godly man. He, he, leads, he leads them spiritually. And uh, we could not be... Um, we could not be more happy uh, with the way that God answered our prayers. There's so much that I would, would love to tell you tonight about TJ. But suffice it to say that at the time of his death, and I mean this with all my heart, he was everything that a mom and dad could possibly hope that one of their children would become. Not perfect by any means, but he loved the Lord and he served the Lord, uh, served faithfully in the little church they were a member of there in, in South Central Kansas. He was very involved in their community, uh, served on the school board, um, 
just just active in every way. Uh, as it was amazing to watch him. Um, he was a, he was a professional bow hunter. He was part of the Midwest Whitetail Pro Staff, and um, so he I mean he was very very engaged in in bow hunting. And to watch him as, as his children be, uh, began to be born and they begin to grow, to watch him voluntarily begin to pull away from something that he absolutely loved doing to devote more time to raising his children was absolutely amazing. I was very proud of him as a, as a dad. He's a very successful businessman. Um, just so many things going for him. Um, he was just the kind of guy, um, I mean, that smile right there, uh, and it, it just, you could not help but love him. You could not help but love him. To know him was to love him. And he had, he, there was no one that he did not, uh, did not love. Uh, he, was, he was for the underdog. I mean, that was a big part of his life, was taking troubled uh, teenagers in their little town and uh, just trying to help them and coach them and direct them and guide them. And um, so he, he, was, uh, he was an amazing man. But needless to say, that night changed our lives forever. They'll, they, our life will never be the same. And though the initial brokenness of our loss has subsided, the shock waves of pain are something that, that we still experience five and a half years later. And in some ways, we'll, we'll always experience at certain times during the year, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Mother's Day and Father's Day. We'll experience them every December 3rd, which was his birthday. And every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, would you stand with me real quick? I want to read the first 10 verses and then we'll, uh, we'll get into this and hopefully God will give us some things tonight to help us if we're currently in this situation if not, give us some things to write down and store away and be better helpers and ministers to those that we encounter. Paul writes here, beginning in verse 1, it is not expedient, that word means profitable, beneficial, uh, for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth of me. 
And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this, this thing, this, this thorn in the flesh, and, and we don't know what it was. There's a lot of speculation as to what it may have been and, and, and all of that, but really that's all it is. We, we don't know what it is. But whatever it was, it, it, was, it greatly troubled Paul to the point that he, he besought the Lord thrice or three times that it might depart from me. From me. And he said unto, unto me that God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The first thing that I want you to understand tonight with respect to the grief of loss is simply this. You don't have to get over it. Shortly following T.J.'s death, a, a dear pastor friend of mine, some of you may be aware of him, Brother Dean Herring, uh, pastors in Kuna, Idaho, who himself um, suffered a, a terrible loss in his family of his grandson. And, and a couple of days after receiving the news of, of what happened to T.J., Brother Dean reached out to me. And he said, Brother Bill, I just want to share three things with you. I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I just want to share three things with you really quickly that I hope will help you because they helped me. He said, number one, he said, you don't have to get over it. Number two, he said, you can't get over it. And number three, and this was, was perhaps the most comforting, God doesn't require you to get over it. Amen. Think with me for a moment. Assuming Paul was afflicted with this thorn in the flesh immediately or, or even soon after receiving the visions and revelations that we read about at the beginning of our text, that means that by the time he wrote this second letter to the Corinthians, he had dealt with it for 14 years. And I don't read anywhere, and I stand to be corrected tonight, but I don't read anywhere in the scriptures where God ever took that away from him. You would think that if God would have taken that away from him, that he would have, would, have writ, would have written about it, would have rejoiced in it, would have used that as an opportunity to encourage us and edify us and, and, and help us along the way. But we don't read anything like that. And so I think it's safe to say tonight that Paul had to live with, with that thorn in the flesh for the rest of his life. And I think it's safe to say that he never got over it because he would wake up every single morning with it, being reminded by it, whatever it was, he never got over it. The concept of, of getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. Think of it like this. We get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. 
not too long ago in the in, I was mowing my grass and I'm I'm just mowing along like I do every week. Just mowing along. Had my uh, earbuds in, listening to music, just mowing, enjoying the day. I enjoy mowing my grass. So I'm just hustling along, and I mean, out of nowhere. I don't know if I stepped on a hole or in a hole or a rock or what, but man, I turned my ankle. And I mean, it, it bent over like all the way over and it hurt. I'm not going to lie to you. It hurt. And I hit the ground and I was writhing in pain. I mean, I'm, I'm being a big sissy at this point in time because it hurt. It was stinging. It was burning. And I'm just sitting there rocking back and forth. Ah, oh, this is killing me. But you know, eventually I was able to, to get up. And, and though at the beginning I, you know, kind of limped a little bit, I just kept walking until finally I was able to just walk like normal. And it didn't swell and, and get into all that nonsense. And I was able to finish mowing my grass. I got over that. But let's say that I get a cut in my foot and that cut gets infected and that infection begins spreading up my leg to the point that they couldn't stop it and in order to stop it and to, to keep it from, from spreading further and further and eventually taking my life, they had to amputate my leg right above the knee. How many of you would agree with me tonight that's not something that I could just walk off? That's not something that I would get over because I would wake up every single morning of my life looking at a nub. I would be reminded every day of my life that a part of me is missing. We get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. If you've lost somebody then you know what I'm talking about. A part of you is gone. A part of you is missing. And you don't get over that. Listen, we are reminded every day in our house because his pictures are everywhere. We've not taken down a single picture. We've not moved a single thing. He is right there. And we are reminded of him every single day. So you don't get over it like that. I heard it explained this way. We don't look at the people around us who are experiencing life's joys and tell them to get over it. For example, let's say some friends of yours are blessed with the birth of their first child. And you're happy for them and you're excited for them. And so you go to the store and you get a, a card and, and uh, you write a little note in there, congratulations on the, the birth of your child. And, and you give that to them and you celebrate with them and you rejoice with them. Well, let's say five years later, you're in the kitchen, you're at the counter, you're sorting through the mail. You, you come to this, this card, and it's uh, addressed, obviously, to you, so you open it, and you look at it, and it's inv an invitation to this kid's fifth birthday party. 
Who looks at that card at that point and says, are you kidding me? Another birthday? This is like five years in a row. Hey, we get it. You got a kid. But you really need to get over it. Who would do that? Nobody would do that. We don't expect people to get over the birth of a child. So why should we expect them to get over the death of one? Or any other loss as far as that goes. Helping others understand that they don't have to get over it will hopefully deliver them from the unrealistic expectations of people, and listen closely, people who mean well, and I really think they do. Honestly, I do. I think they mean well, but they've never walked their path. And until you've walked their path, you just don't understand. There's no way you can understand. A man by the name of Jerry Sitzer lost his wife and his daughter and his mother all in the same car wreck. And in his book, A Grace Disguised, he writes this. Can anyone really expect to recover from such tragedy considering the value of what was lost and the consequences of that loss? Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which has yet to be discovered. Whatever that future is, it will and must Include the pain of the past with it. Sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who have suffered a severe loss. If anything, it may keep going deeper. I just mentioned my preacher friend, Brother Dean Herring. Brother Dean writes a a, a blog occasionally and on the anniversary of the death of his grandson, Josiah, he wrote these words. The notion that suddenly, or eventually, the sorrow somehow dissipates as a fable that has been created by the empty slogans of people who have never suffered deep loss. Why do we feel ashamed of sorrow as though it's some leprous emotion? Why do we hide our tears when our Savior wept openly at the death of a friend? The ability to sorrow and weep is a gift from God and is a sure sign of a living heart and a greater love. The pain remains and the tears come like rogue waves. But God has somehow enabled us to live through the unthinkable. We're here. We live on in our sorrow and with our pain. We live in His grace. 
So first, you don't have to get over it. But here's my second thought tonight. You can get through it. Sometimes people speak of someone getting over a loss as, as though they're supposed to just move on like it never happened. You know, just close the door behind you and just la, 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 pretend the hurt away. Listen, folks, it's not that easy. That's not how it works. And that's not what I mean when I, when I talk about getting through a loss. Here's what I'm talking about. Getting through a loss is about that time that eventually comes. And let me stop there and say this. That time is different for everyone. I'm talking about even people in the same family. I mean, think about this. TJ and Sheena had a one flesh intimacy that nobody else had with either of them. They, they, they were one flesh. Is that what the Bible says? Yes. They became one flesh. There was a closeness and an intimacy there. And so Sheena has her own Bout with grief. And then you take his mom. And, and you ladies understand this. Katie carried that boy in her womb as part of her body for nine months. There is a closeness there. Am I right, ladies? Amen. There is a connection there that, that nobody else even understands. Amen. Unless you've been there and done that. And so his mama has her own kind of grief. And then there's, there's, there's me. We were, we were tight. And we were best friends. I, I can't even begin to tell you. And that's the wonderful thing about not killing your kids early. Amen. Is they grow up to be adults that you really get to know and love and enjoy and have a great time with. Amen. And I mean TJ and I. We, I mean, we had a bond like no other. And then you've got his, his brother and, and, his, and his sister. And so I'm just telling you tonight that the time that I'm talking about is not the same for everybody. So don't ever, don't ever look at someone and say, listen, it's okay, you're going to get over it. No, they're not. Please understand that tonight. They are not going to get over it. It will always be with them. But getting through it is the time that eventually comes when somebody accepts the horrible event that brought them so much grief and sorrow. And here's the key. With the Lord's help, they find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. A sense of closure comes when Someone finally allows themselves to accept the reality that what was done is done and nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Though Paul never got over his thorn in the flesh, I do believe that he got through it. That is, he did come to accept it and he did find the strength to move forward in his life 
in spite of it. I mean, just, just think about the life of Paul throughout the remainder of his life. All of the great things that he did. I mean, he was probably the most prolific church planting missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. And, and all of the things that God used him to do, including writing, what, two-thirds of the New Testament? God used Paul and he helped Paul and he enabled Paul to accept what he had brought into his life and to go forward in spite of it. Now, understand this tonight. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything is okay. But it does mean that you are okay. I'll just be honest with you tonight. It's not okay that there's an empty chair at our table at Thanksgiving. It's not okay that there's an empty chair at our house at Christmas. It's not okay that Sheena was left to answer questions like, Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? That's not okay. Amen. I'm sorry, it's not okay. But I'm okay. And my wife's okay. And we have our moments. I tell the church Sunday morning, I, I was preaching in, uh, in Albuquerque. And um, that's a six-hour drive back to Liberal. And I got to thinking about TJ and about, I was, I was driving home on Thursday. Mallory's birthday was the next day. And I got to thinking about that and about her daddy not being there and how much he loved her and how much he would have loved to be there. I'm listening to XM radio and a song comes on that says the only scars in heaven are in the hands that are holding you. And I just wept the whole way. Six hours. It's all I could do. But just weep. Because I miss my boy. missing and it hurt so I'm just being transparent with you tonight I hope that's okay Amen. because my son being gone is not okay I'm not I'm not mad I'm not angry I'm not blaming anything I'm just telling you it's not okay but I'm okay obviously I still have my moments Katie has her moments, but we're going to be all right. Because that story is not the end. And I'm thankful for that. Here's a third truth that I'll share with you tonight. And I get a lot of thank yous for this. It's not because of me, it's the truth, and I think it's biblical. It's okay to ask why. 
Some have been led to believe incorrectly, in my opinion. If your pastor has another opinion, then, then he's right and I'm wrong. And, and I'll, I'll gladly accept that. But I'm just telling you my opinion tonight. People have been led to believe that it's, that it's wrong to ask why. But I would submit to you this evening that God is not put off by our questions. I mean, all you got to do is, is, is read the Psalms. David questioned God numerous times when seeking for answers. I mean, there, there's one Psalm, and I preached on this a few weeks ago, Psalm 13, where, where David questioned God four times in the first two verses. David questioned God when he seemed to be distant. He questioned God when he felt like God had forsaken him. He questioned God when he felt like God had forgotten him. And when he felt like there was a time, listen, there was a time when David thought maybe God had fallen asleep. And he questioned him. He questioned him when he felt like God was hiding from him. And when he felt like injustice was, uh, injustice was going to, to, to be permitted to go on unpunished. And besides David, there was Moses. He questioned God in Numbers chapter 11 and as did Habakkuk in chapter 1 and Job in chapter 7 and the disciples in chapter 9. And then just, just think with me about this, Matthew chapter 27. Jesus is at the end of his life. He's hanging on the cross. And he cries out, my God. My God, help me, why hast thou forsaken me? If God's own son asked his father why, then surely it's okay for us to ask God why. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why, TJ? Why at this time in his life? Why in this manner? So many why questions. To quote John Kitchen, he said, Why is the first and greatest word of the suffering soul? Our why questions. Allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and pour our heart out to Him. But that being said, let me, let me say this tonight. I believe there is a danger in a persistent focus on why. Because the longer our question goes unanswered, the more it tends to feed a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it can very, very easily lead to bitterness. The subject of bitterness is a, is a, a whole message in itself for another time. Let me just real quick give you a couple of things that I think will, will keep you from getting bitter. First, accept what cannot be changed. 
I believe this with all my heart. There is not a person here tonight. There's not a person alive who would not reverse the events of February the 6th, 2018, if they could. But they can't. It, it's, it's, it's over. It's, it's done. He's gone. And that being the case then the best thing to do and the thing that Katie and I have really uh, 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 done very intentionally in our, in, in our life is to focus on what's left, not what's lost. That's not to say that we're trying to, to forget TJ. Not at all. I probably made that pretty clear tonight. We are not forgetting him we are not moving on from him we are moving forward with him you see getting through is about reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down but somehow we or sometimes we we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and our viewpoints that our good memories, and we have so many good memories of life with our son, but if we're not careful, those can all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner of our minds. So no, this is not about forgetting our son. It's about choosing not to let his death consume us. And, and here's why. Because we still have our daughter-in-law and our granddaughters and our son and his wife and their son and our daughter and her husband and their three sons who need us. They need us. Allowing ourselves to become consumed by the grief of our loss is going to rob them and quite honestly others in our lives of the love and the affection and the attention that they need and that they rightly deserve. The last thing that we want to happen is for our children to eventually resent their brother's death because it has robbed them of their mom and dad and has robbed their children of their Grammy and Papa. We do not want that to happen. And so we are very intentional about the time that we spend with them. Does that make sense tonight? Amen. The final truth I'd like to share with you is simply this. And, and again, there's, there's so much more in, in the little book there if you want to grab it. But here's the last thought tonight. God's grace is sufficient. The pain of, of losing our son and I've talked to a number of you even yesterday and again tonight. 
and you understand this, that the pain of losing our son was greater than anything I can even begin to describe. But the help that we have received from the Lord is greater than I can even begin to explain. People say, Brother Fred, how do you guys do this? I can't explain it. I, I can't. I, I, I don't know how to explain it other than to say what Paul said, or to, to say what God said to Paul. God's grace is sufficient. And I love, I love the word sufficient. Because it means enough. That's what it means. Enough. Always and forever enough. It would be easier for you to wake up in the morning, walk outside, and suck all of the oxygen out of the atmosphere with a straw than to exhaust God's supply of grace. It would be easier for you to go to the Atlantic or the Pacific and dip a sponge in the water and soak all the water up than it would be for you to exhaust God's supply of grace. Tis grace hath, pro hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. When John Newton that promise he did so out of a personal experience his greatest test came the day that he buried his wife Mary for years he had prayed that his death would precede hers but his prayers were not answered on the day that Mary Newton died John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day, he visited church members. And later, he officiated at his wife's funeral. He grieved. But in his grief, he found God's provision. He would later write these words. The Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord, the all-sufficient God, speaks and it is done. Let those who know Him and trust Him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what he can do, he has promised that he will do. Thank God for his all-sufficient, amazing grace. So much, so much could be said about God's grace. Let me just say this tonight. 
I don't know where I'd be without it. And I mean that. I don't know where I'd be without it. Many have attempted to define grace. I choose to define it this way. Grace is God's supply for my every need when I need it. I think that's why it's referred to, I believe in the book of Peter, as the manifold grace of God. You mechanic guys, you understand the concept of the manifold. And you've got God's grace, and there's grace for this, and there's grace for this, and there's grace for this, and there's grace for that, and there's grace for this other thing. Listen, it's God's, it's God's supply for my every need when I need it. But Brother Prater, how do we tap into God's grace? I always hear about people talking about God's grace and God's grace sufficient and God's grace helped me and God's grace was with me and, and God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. How do we tap into this grace? I think the answer is given us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 where it says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of what? Grace. That we may obtain mercy. And look at it. Find grace to help in time of need. When we need grace to take another step. Or to live another day. Or to cope with another memory. We can simply go to the Lord in prayer and ask for it. And God promises to give it to us. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? Let's stand with our heads bowed. And